Today's sermon comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. We have a tale this morning that is stark, it's grim, dramatic, it's gruesome. It's a tale that Jesus tells to a group of Pharisees. That's who his audience is. We know that from the rest of the chapter. He's been talking to Pharisees, and he's been talking a lot about wealth. So he now begins to spin a tale. We often call these tales parables, but scholars and Bible students alike have noted for some time that most of the parables that Jesus tells never have any personal pronouns. They never have anybody's name recorded in them, but this one does. There's a rich man and a name, Lazarus. He tells the story of a rich man and a named man, Lazarus. The rich man... He lives a life that is in the lap of luxury. High on the hog is what the translation would be if I were to do it. It says that he eats sumptuously every day. God, I love that word, don't you? Sumptuously. Who doesn't want to feast sumptuously every day? It just sounds nice. 
But at the edge of his gate, there is the poor man, the named man. There is Lazarus. In the words of one of my colleagues, he was pitiful. He was poor, filled with sores that leaked and drained and ran. I don't mean to be gross or gruesome. It's simply there in the text. This man has ailments from head to toe. He has no two quarters to rub together. And all he could ever dream for would be to go into the rich man's home and lie like a dog or worse, a rat, under his table and hope for a scrap, a mere morsel, a crumb to fall off that man's table so that he could have a little something. The text tells us that this man has no companions. It's the mangy feline, not the felines, it's the mangy dogs, the canines of the neighborhood who come and lick his wounds. The story goes on and it tells us that he dies and he goes to a place called the place with Abraham, the abode of Abraham, Abraham's bosom. He goes to be with his ancestors. The rich man, too, later, he dies as well. And it says that he goes to a place, and they name it Hades. In the Old Testament, you will have seen the word Sheol before. He goes to the land of the dead. He goes to the grave. And there, it appears that Lazarus, who was afflicted in life, is now living in comfort. And the rich man, who was living a life of comfort, is now afflicted. And he calls out to the, the father of their community, of the people, Abraham, Abraham. All he wants is for, for Lazarus to maybe come over and cool his tongue. To dip just his pinky, just a little morsel of water. And let it cool the rich man's tongue. And Abraham says, no. There is a great chasm now between these two. He tells them that you lived a life of comfort and now you're afflicted. He lived a life that was afflicted and now he's comforted. And now you're separate from one another. And so the rich man, he says to Abraham, well, at least can you send Lazarus to my, to my father's home? I, I have five brothers. They too live in the lap of luxury. Tell them. Tell them so that they will change their ways, that, that they will take on another course of life Help them correct themselves because I don't want them to suffer as I have suffered. It's a strange story. And to be frank with you, I feel for the Pharisees as they hear it. It seems as though, given the way the Pharisees would have been taught to believe, that Jesus is changing things up on them. How? Why? Well, certainly as devoted Bible students, they'd hear such a tale and at first they would side with the rich man. They knew their scriptures well. They could flip through and find passages and chapters like Deuteronomy 28. There in Deuteronomy 28 in the great book of Moses, it says stuff like this. If you are obedient to God, God will bless you. And those blessings look like wealth. You will have land. You will have food. You will have what you need. You will have a large household. Your agricultural produce will be enough and more than enough. Obey God 
gains blessings and blessings look like wealth. But, and quite clearly in this text, Jesus is not praising the rich man. In fact, he's condemning the rich man. Now, if I read this and I follow the logic of the Pharisees, which makes sense that, that blessings follow from obedient living, then you can follow it the other way around. Poverty and pestilence and a life of pain in the gutter is not blessing. Therefore, Lazarus, the poor man, has probably done something to deserve it. He's probably lived a disobedient life, a life of unfaithfulness, bad behavior. It's a simple logic, but it is one that has persisted and it remains in the minds of many today. I was once called to a ministry meeting in another city, not in Atlanta, but in another major American city. And I was to uh, show up to this person's house who was hosting a planning session for uh, a youth retreat or something. And so I printed out the directions on MapQuest. That's back when you had to use MapQuest. And I had the maps on the, on the steering wheel and I drove through the city. And I noticed that we were going through wealthier and wealthier, more exclusive neighborhoods. I pulled up to the neighborhood that this person lived in and it was a gated community. I said who I was seeing. I said my name and I stated my purpose for being there. And then I pulled in and I went round the loop gawking at these estates. I pulled into the driveway of this house and I was flabbergasted. The house was special and enormous and just of fine quality, that I can assure you. But I thought one feature was striking. From the main house, there was a bridge. It was like an enclosed bridge to a separate turret that was just on the side of the house over here. And I liked turrets, and, and I wondered why was it separate and what was in there. We ended up having to drive under the turret to go back to their valet parking arrangement behind the house. And then we went inside, and it was as lavish as you can imagine a home to be. They had the cinema screening room downstairs. They had the most amazing bathrooms. And yes, I did walk around the house with my mouth open. Finally, the youth kid that I knew asked the youth workers and I if we all wanted to go and see his bedroom. And so we went up there with the family to check it out. This was the coolest bedroom I'd ever seen in my life. When I was a kid and I would get into trouble for not eating my green beans, my dad would send me to my room. If I had this kid's room, that would be good. There was, it was the playland. And he said, do you guys want to see the coolest thing in this room? And of course, we all said yes. And so his mom says, okay, come this way. She opens his closets and she spreads his clothes on the rack. And then she pushes the wall and it is a secret passageway. I've always wanted a secret passageway. Admit it, I don't care how old you are, you probably think that's neat. As we entered into the secret passageway, do you know where we were? In that covered bridge going toward the turret. It's going to get to see what was in there. Do you know what was in the turret? Of course you don't, I'll tell you. A recording studio. He had his own drum kit, he had seven guitars, he had keyboards. And his mom goes, yes, we had that built last summer, we didn't like the noise in the garage. And so we said, this is amazing, this is beautiful. We gave her all this praise, and and then I noticed her. She goes like this, we've been blessed. We've been blessed. 
the same ministry, different story. I got a phone call one evening, and I was supposed to meet somebody. They, they were young. They were emotional. They said they wanted to meet me at Waffle House. And so I get in the car. It's like 8 o'clock at night and raining, and I go to the Waffle House. So I come in. I, I found them sitting there uh, already at a table with a cup of coffee, shaking. They had been to a party, and at that party, they were assaulted. It was a terrible story. But I remember the words of this person as I sat trying to think about the right words to say. This person said, what did I do to deserve this? Kept thinking over their life's narrative. What did I do to deserve this? I must have done something to deserve this. Yet, in this story, Jesus has the rich man, the the man who appears blessed, The rich man in Hades, in torment, calling out to Lazarus, the poor man, for just a thimble full of water to parch his dried tongue. And again, to remind you, the answer was no. Isn't that just like St. Luke? St. Luke is always flipping things upside down. From the beginning of the gospel to the end, roles are reversed. The high are made low, the rough places straight, the rich are brought down, the, well, the poor are exalted. And for a lot of us, that's a narrative that we like. We actually enjoy that culturally, that the, the underdog, the ones on the bottom will get put on top. I'll confess something that might make you lose a, a bit of respect for me, but I, w- I was one day watching some daytime t- talk show. Sorry, I admitted it. Oprah... Dr. Phil, I don't know which one it was, but I was watching. And there was this woman on the show, and she comes out, and she says she has a special guest, and she brings out her friend from high school, and he comes out on the stage, and he's a good-looking guy. He's got like a middle-class job. He looks like he's got a happy life. And he's brought there to the show, and he tells the audience that he's not sure why he was brought to the show. Now, I have seen shows like this a lot. I don't know why anyone would go to a show that they don't know why they're there. It doesn't seem like a good setup, or seems like you're being set up. And he was. The woman says to the man, I wanted to confront you in front of this audience that you used to pick on our friend so-and-so. His face got red. He said, yeah. Yeah, you used to pick on him a lot. You used to bully him. He's one of these kids that, you know, had teeth and ears so big his body didn't grow into them until later on life. And he's, he just, it was easy for the cool guy to pick on. And in front of the crowd, face pink, he says, yeah, that's true. I, I guess I did. And then the, the, the guy or the woman who hosts the show says, and we have a surprise for you. And then... The special guest becomes walking out, just walking out from behind the curtain. And then you hear the women in the crowd catcalling because guess what? It's the man who was picked on. And can you imagine how he looked? Oh, he was a specimen. Tan, chiseled, ripped. I had to explain to the 9 a.m. service what ripped meant. Muscle bound. And he wore a tight shirt to show it off to everybody. And everyone was hooting and hollering. He'd grown into himself. And he eclipsed the other fella. That's how I'll put it. He eclipsed him on the stage. His face was red. And he was apologizing. But the crowd wouldn't even hear the words of I'm sorry. Because they love the fact that this other guy has now passed 
the high school popular one. We like that story. Perhaps that's why Luke's gospel strikes our fancy sometimes, but I have to say the way it works in Luke is much deeper. In Luke, there is an essential eschatological role reversal. What that means is this. When God's kingdom fully comes to bear upon this world, when God's redemptive work comes to its climax and fulfillment, when all of God's heart and desire for the world comes to reality in the midst of our planet Earth and our universe, there's going to be a lot of role reversals. There's going to be a lot of injustice and a lot of power systems that are broken, flipped right upside down. For Luke's understanding, this is part of God's kingdom. It is to break down broken systems that leave some on the high end and a lot more on the low end. Well, this rich man who lived a life on the high end, he's not merely selfish if we read the text closely. He's not just a selfish man. While he's suffering in Hades, he says, okay, Abraham, Father Abraham, I, I've, got, I've got a dad, I've got five brothers. Can you just do me a favor and send Lazarus to them, please? I don't want them feeling what I feel right now. He's trying to pull a Jacob Marley. If you ever follow Ebenezer Scrooge, he's, he's trying to pull someone from the grave. If Certainly, if someone from the grave came to tell you that you weren't living the right way, certainly you'd listen. That would get your attention. That might make you change the way you behave. It'll work. My brothers will get on the straight and narrow. They'll do what you want as long as you send Lazarus. Abraham again says no. The irony here for Abraham is this. To the rich man, you're not going to listen to anyone. They're not going to listen to anyone from the grave because they haven't been listening to those of us who've already gone before, Moses and the prophets. You have Moses and the prophets recorded in our pages of scripture. You, you can hear from them any time and here's the thing, the Pharisees must have been on the edge of their seat with anticipation. So here's the thing, the same scripture that lets you be proud of wealth, that lets it be a sign in your mind of your faithfulness to God, is also the same scripture that will not allow you to walk by someone on the street and dismissively look down at them and say, bless your heart. It's the same scripture. It's in Moses and the prophets. It's the same place. It won't let you look down on people or let people go hungry. It's in these scriptures where we find out it is, in fact, our duty to care for those who have nothing. It is in those same scriptures where we find out that the orphan and the widow are our responsibility. It's in the same scriptures where we find out that those without agency find agency when we come alongside of them. It's in those same scriptures when we hear that the resident alien, the foreigner in your midst is not to be shunned, but to be fed and cared for. It is in the same scriptures that says no person can feast sumptuously while other people go hungry. It is not allowed. The vision of Jesus tells us 
the blessing of the world to come, the blessing that he sees for the world is simply this. It is when men and women like Lazarus who are in the gutter are able to sit at the same table with the rich man and dine sumptuously and in delight. This story is a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And so I'll end by thinking about what the kingdom of God is like in my own world. The kingdom of God is like that time when my friend went to Haiti. I don't know if you've ever been to Hispaniola, but Haiti in particular is impoverished. And there he was, a rich American going to Haiti to be with people who had very little. And he told me that he was invited to a family's home for dinner. And inside their home were dirt floors. And they went back and they killed their fattest goat. And they killed their heaviest chickens. And they made a feast. He said in that moment, he knew that they had greater riches than he ever had. They shared freely. They shared together. The kingdom of God is like, there's a baseball player I've liked named Albert Pujols. When he got married to his wife, she had a Down syndrome child. And so he started ministries to Down, for Down syndrome children. And every year when he played for the St. Louis Cardinals, he'd have these long walks, these uh, charity events for Down syndrome. He'd get any celebrity he could to come out and be a part of it. As he was walking the streets with a bunch of children and celebrities, they were all around watching him interact with the kids. Then the kids took him by the arm and basically told Albert what to do and where to go, and he followed them around. And one of his... Uh, uh, players on his team commented to the manager he says boy these kids really do belong to Albert don't they and the manager said no Albert belongs to them the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is not happy just throwing a few shekels at the Lazarus at your gate when the heart of God is fulfilled in the world it'll be the kind of place where people like Lazarus, Lazarus sit at your table and dine sumptuously with you, not below you, not on your charity, but we will eat together at the same table. Bless you to go forward and invite others to the table.